3: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's Trader Lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, and Jeff Mills. We begin tonight with big news on Discovery. Shares dropping in the after hours on news from David Fayer. He joins us now on the news line. David, what's the latest?
0: You know, Melissa, we had thought that all the sales related to the blowup of Archegos, of course, the family office, uh, had been completed. Uh, and we all know already the losses that have been taken by prime brokers, uh, led by Credit Suisse, at what some 4.7 billion no more at 2 billion what was something of a surprise and frankly is my understanding was a surprise discovery as well which i think believe that all the sales of its stock had been completed also was that late today uh after close uh it was made clear that cs had 22 million more uh discovery k shares and 19 of the a shares to sell so it's a it's a pretty sizable amount i mean well over a billion dollars what 1.4 billion dollars worth of stock something like that and again something of a surprise uh given there had been an expectation that everything had already been liquidated the losses had been already taken by cs so some things unclear here in terms of whether this will in some way add to the loss or whether it's already incorporated in their estimates of what they would lose but uh again shows that the reverberations from the blow up of that family office And the bizarre behavior of Mr. Wang, who ran that firm, uh, given how large his stakes were in both Viacom and Discovery and other stocks, it's not yet over. Uh, Mm -hmm. Perhaps it is now. That is the expectation, at least when it comes to Discovery. But that's what we've got, at least in terms of late in the day trading here.
3: I mean, I think from from the shareholder perspective, David, the problem is the word perhaps it's done, because when they announced when Credit Suisse announced that loss, there was a belief that they accounted for all the losses. And then, you know, Credit Suisse April 5th comes out and uh, sells blocks of VIP shop, Farfetch, as well as Viacom, and now Discovery. Um, and, and so right. the shoes just seem to keep dropping at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, your your point's good. When, when they did announce those big sales, remember the 34 million Viacom, mm-hmm. we all assumed, OK, that's it. That's cleaning up everything that's left. They had been waiting, and mistakenly so, of course, hoping perhaps there would be a bounce in the stock that they would be able to benefit from. That did not take place. Um, but given that discovery was not part of that sale. And by the way, there's another company as well that's been sold today. IQ is the symbol. I'm not that familiar with it. Um, you guys may know it far better than I do. Uh, that also is being sold as part of, again, cleaning up what's ever left, we we expect. Now, I think at this point, there is an expectation they're done. But to your point, Melissa, I guess, you know, given how opaque everything has been involving this situation, you can't be 100 percent certain.
3: you got to wonder, who, you know, who who's the buyer on this side? I mean. If Credit Suisse comes calling and says we've got blocks of shares, who's saying, yeah, 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 hand them over here because we we do believe that this is the end of it.
0: Right. I mean, and listen, you know, now I would note that the relative performance of Discovery versus Viacom, both of which have been up at one point, what, over 100 percent for the year. Viacom, at my last look, was up something like six, seven percent for the year. Discovery had been up as much as 34 Mm percent. So it did not suffer as much as Viacom in this violent sell off. As a result of the liquidation of what was at least a 10 billion dollar fund as we know on leverage he owned i mean that's still to be told but the percentage ownership that he had of these companies was truly remarkable uh and we're still learning Uh, and so that's kind of where things stand right now
3: all right david we appreciate you calling in david faber on the news line for us tonight Um, IQ, by the way, is iQiyi, a Chinese company, Um, Tim, and certainly we've seen selling pressure. Um, We had mentioned VipShop, but also IQ. Uh, We've seen some pressure on Tencent Music in the past. What What do you make of all of this?
4: I think they're the same chart. If you mm-hmm. if you look, I mean, Discovery's chart, this this may be, you know, David's breaking some some news here and always doing a great job and pointing out you know, most people know Discovery. Most people know Viacom. They look at those charts very, very similar. In fact, making new lows today when, in fact, we thought a lot of the worst of this uh was was yeah, you know, had taken place and gone through the market a week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, but the same thing with 10 Cent Music. I, I'm still a shareholder in 10 Cent Music. In fact, um, looking to nibble and add because fundamentally nothing has changed here with this story. Um, IQ is, you know, call them a YouTube, social media, online streaming, entertainment services of China. Uh, again, same story and and the volatility in some of these names that are less liquid. Um, you know, it's easier to push these stocks around. But I think they're all the same chart.
3: Yeah. Um, if you're a shareholder of Credit Suisse, Jeff Mills. What questions would you be asking tonight?
5: Well, I mean, it, it's pretty clear that you want to know where where things stand in terms of, of the liquidation. And I don't know what answers you're going to get. I mean, quite frankly, I've been surprised at how well European banks in general have held up during all of this. If you look at credit default swaps, for example, um, you know, not a, a great deal of strain there. So I think that's interesting and telling perhaps for the entire entire macro environment um, but relative to the two stocks. I think I, I talked about this maybe when the news first broke, but we were sellers of Viacom at 55 on the way up. I think, you know, whether you're talking about Viacom or Discovery at, you know, 24, 25 times four, they're both too expensive. Um, I do think they look a little bit more interesting now at current valuations. Um, Viacom, perhaps more so, given it's just at its 200 day support, it looks to be holding there um, perhaps more to go in Discovery.
3: And Viacom raised money. So it's a different story than it was before with just a, a turn lower guy. And all this, of course, happening on, on the eve of bank earnings. And, and you've got to think that Archegos is going to be a topic on those conference calls.
2: That'd be, that should be the first question that's asked. Mm-hmm. Forget about earnings. Earnings are going to be great. I think if you heard what Credit Suisse said last week, you know, what a $4.7 billion loss. But, you know, they only expect to lose. And, and my numbers might be off a little bit. So please don't at me. But, you know, $1.5 billion all in, so that suggests they had a remarkable quarter, but for this. But the story, and I don't think we're suggesting The underlying stocks, the story is Credit Suisse, and they made a trading decision. Uh, David Faber alluded to it. You know, they, prob- they didn't just discover, no pun intended, they had 22 million shares <laughs> or 19 million shares of Discovery Aid lying around. They made the decision, you know, the market's going to bounce and we're going to artfully yeah. get out of this when that wasn't the case. They had to make a decision to do this. So it's more about, you know, the de- decision making a credit Swiss, in my opinion, than it is about any of these individual names.
3: Yeah. Or the prowess of a Morgan Stanley, which managed to, d- to dump its exposure prior to all of the stocks going down. Grasso, what's your take on all of this?
6: Well, to, to Guy's point, it really is that inside the uh, huddle chat where Uh, when you work in an upstairs bank or when you work in one of these brokerage houses, when you see something sell off 50 or 60%, you're always thinking it's going to bounce and you're always trying to play trader, especially the fact when you have the losses that are on the table. But a Morgan Stanley who was ahead of the curve, it demands the questions all the way around. And I know we're all tired of saying that statement, what did you know and when did you know it? So for for individuals who are trading, it's a trading show. I've been asked a bunch of times over the last uh, handful of days, when do you step in in a Viacom or Discovery? And when you see things off this dramatic, uh, or dramatically, you want to step in. And I think we're very close to that level, but obviously with the news today, it makes everyone scratch their head, but we're not looking at losses of 40 or 50 from here. So I think you're safe to kind of dip your toe again on the buy side.
3: All right. Again, you see Discovery shares down almost 4 percent. IQ, IQ, also down just about 4 percent. We'll keep an eye on those uh, throughout the show. Meantime, let's turn to that big developing story in Johnson & Johnson. Shares falling as the FDA and CDC recommend pausing the use of the J&J COVID vaccine. Let's get to Meg Terrell with uh, new details at this hour. Hi, Meg.
1: Hey, Melissa. So what they've seen essentially are just six cases of this very rare but severe a form of blood clot uh, among people who have received the J&J vaccine. That's out of almost 7 million people who've been vaccinated with the J&J vaccine. And it has a unique profile, this combination of this specific blood clot with a low platelet count. Uh, and so this is the profile of patients they've been seeing. They also know there are some similarities among patients. They have all been women between the ages of 18 and 48. Their symptoms occurred six to 13 days after they were vaccinated. And really, the FDA and CDC putting this out there so that, A, people are aware of it, B, they have time to look into it, but C, that they want doctors to know that alternative treatment to the usual way you'd treat um, blood clots with the blood thinner heparin uh, is required here because heparin could actually be detrimental. Now, we heard from Dr. Fauci earlier today. He indicated what we might hear from an outside panel of advisors to the CDC as they look at this tomorrow. Here's what he said.
6: It is entirely conceivable, making no predictions that there may be some restriction in an age group or not. We don't know that now. That's the reason why they're working very hard to answer the question you're asking.
1: Dr. Fauci emphasizing they have not seen this with either of the other two authorized vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. Of course, there have been many more doses of those administered so far, 99 million of Pfizer, 85 million of Moderna compared with the 7 million of J&J, which of course got on the market a lot later, guys. We also heard from Jeff Zients from the White House uh, COVID response team about how this could affect Americans' ability to get vaccinated. Here's what he said.
5: This um, announcement will not have a significant impact on our vaccination program. We have more than enough supply of Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to continue the current pace of about 3 million shots per day.
1: And, of course, uh, this is the uh, supply situation that we are looking at for those vaccines. This incorporates Johnson & Johnson. But even if you just looked at Pfizer and Moderna, we actually just heard from Pfizer's CEO on Twitter in the last few minutes saying that they now expect to deliver 220 million doses by the end of May. That's enough for 110 million people. Moderna reiterating just a half hour ago, it'll have 200 million doses by the end of May. Uh, and then both companies will deliver uh, 300 million doses total in July, and Pfizer a couple weeks early. Mel, I mentioned we just heard from both companies. Moderna actually just giving a six month update on its efficacy. Uh, More than 90 percent six months out. It looks very similar to the Pfizer vaccine. Back over to you.
3: Even more effective still than the flu vaccine, even six months out. Meg, I'm curious. um, You know, a lot has happened since the story broke in the seven o'clock hour this morning when we were both talking about this. But one thing that has developed during the day that I thought was interesting was that um, there was a prognostication that that this halt or this pause would last just a few days or five days. Is there any sense from analysts that, that this is a realistic timeline, considering that people have to self-report, they have to investigate these cases, etc.? It seems like it would take longer than just a few days.
1: Yeah, it really depends on what they see in terms of the strength of the evidence here. What we're—it's really going to be revealing listening to the CDC's advisors tomorrow discussing this in that meeting. It's going to be from one thirty to four thirty, and they're actually going to vote on their recommendations for the J and J vaccine. And so we'll hear if they've been able to really plumb what similarities there are among these women who had these clots, trying to figure out—you know—is it really higher than what you might just see in the general population, and can they make recommendations that? make the risk benefit here, uh, something that's acceptable. Um, Nobody is saying that they won't do that or how long that will take, but that is the process that they're going to go through. So they say a few days. uh, We'll have to see how it
3: goes. All right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Check out the market reaction today. Record close for the S&P 500. Slight losses in the Dow and tech. A big standout with some parts of the reopening trade holding up. Southwest, Norwegian, Hilton, all posting gains. And this was a turnaround from pre-market trade when we saw that knee-jerk reaction to this news on Johnson & Johnson. So what does the market action tell you on the back of all this? Guy?
2: Well, I mean, if you watch Steve or follow Steve Gross on Twitter, I think it was 8 a.m. this morning or so. I was within 20 minutes of this news coming out. He said any weakness on the back of this J&J headline should be bought. And he was spot on. And I found myself nodding Because, listen, for the six people, obviously, this is an awful thing, and we don't want to make light of that, and we're not doing it. But for the broader market, I think there are a lot of reasons to be bearish about the market. This is not one of them, in my opinion. And furthermore, I thought the way J&J traded today was very good into earnings on April 20th. So, again, it is a big story. It's a story worth talking about. They did everything exactly right in terms of what J&J did. Um, but in terms of the market, I don't think it was that big of an event. And in terms of what the VIX did and what the broader market did, I think that illustrates exactly that.
3: Yeah, and specifically in your tweet, Grossi, you said, buy the weakness, continue to buy the weakness in IWN, the small caps.
6: Right, right. And, you know, for me, that's the reopening trade. And the overall market, I think to Guy's point, we don't want to belittle the issue that's going on with the with the six people but there's more than enough vaccine out there from Pfizer or Moderna. And when you look at the IWM, that's been in the center of the re- reopening trade. It's been the center of rising rates. Everyone rushed for safety. So rates came in just a touch. So I thought that was gonna be more of a buying opportunity for the IWM going forward.
3: Yeah, rates came in and that allowed the tech trade to go higher. So Jeff Mills, how do you sort of interpret all of, all of these cross currents today?
5: Well, just about rates and tech, I think we talked about this late last week, but that's been my thesis here for the past couple of weeks. And I think we probably continue to see sideways to down in interest rates. And that probably does ease a little bit of the pressure we saw in technology. I think starting to look at the charts of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, they all look very, very similar in the sense that there was underperformance. They all tested technical support. Now they're all pushing back to new highs or above new highs. So I, I think that's the pattern we probably see play out here going forward. Relative to this, you know, I, I wouldn't have been a buyer of J&J on the vaccine news that was good. I wouldn't be a seller on the vaccine news that's bad. I would be more of an IBB guy here. I think uh, IBB wasn't impacted at all today. In fact, it actually outperformed. It's down about 15% from its highs. It's also showing support at its 200 days. So I think it's a decent entry point. Point here for broad biotech.
3: You know, when this news crossed, clearly it was bad news in terms of the U.S., uh, you know, and its efforts to get everybody vaccinated, Tim. But it seemed to me like from a market perspective that it was sort of a win-win situation. If there's a hiccup, the Fed will stay lower for long, even longer. Um, rates will be tame, yeah. and that'll allow the tech trade to go higher and the broader markets to go higher. Either that or it's no big deal. The rollout of the vaccine continues to be successful. The, the economy reopens, and off we go to the races.
4: The economy reopening, and it's a question of how, how forcefully it's going to reopen. And, and good news is I, actually, fortunately, good news right now uh, until it's bad news when it's too good and the Fed gets involved, if that makes sense. Uh, you had a half a point rally on the 10-year. Yields are back down to 161. And I mean, wh- what does that number mean other than, you know, for, for Guy Adami, he thinks 161 is a, a street in the Bronx where there's a stadium. Um, it, it, it's, it's the level we were at <laughs> at March 5th when we hit those highs when we were all running for cover. Um, so, you know, you've effectively been sideways for, uh, you know, a month and a half on that 10-year. We've settled into a range. You had a fantastic 30-year auction today, by the way, in terms of a lot of demand where, you know, rates at these levels, I know they don't sound high, but on a relative basis. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm agreeing with that call. The only thing that bothers me going into earnings um, are the levels of the market. Remember, we've, we've, we've gone 28 percent on the S&P since that November 2nd low. Um, Banks have told us a lot of great news. A lot of companies have told us a lot of great news. We know the economy is opening fast. At some point, um, you know, normalized means
3: time to sell. All right. Let's get more on the impact of the J&J news on the markets. Bring in Tony Dwyer, Canaccord's chief market strategist. Tony, great to have you with us. What is your what is your take? Is there an impact on your market view?
7: It really isn't. No. Um, The market, as they said, the economy is reopening. Thank God the vaccines are plentiful and they're being distributed faster than expectation. So the J&J news really didn't have an impact on my opinion.
3: OK, but ahead of earnings season, you're a little worried, it seems, because you're downgrading the market view.
7: Yeah, it's kind of a rare downgrade for me. Mel, the permable, you know, pulls in the horns a little bit, and, it, and it's really based on four, four things. I thought that the, that the 60 Minutes interview um, of, with Jerome Powell was pretty hawkish. It was a change in tone. So every time, and every time I'm on the show, I look into the camera and I say, the guy's printing the money, keep giving us the game plan, and they're going to keep printing the money. Well, in the 60 Minutes interview, he said something different. You know, he literally said that growth was going to be strong. He didn't, he didn't really hedge it. He said maybe, maybe um, uh, having COVID-19 come back could put a risk into it. But he was very bullish on economic activity. And that was the first time I'd seen that. And when you couple that with following up on earnings season, There's a Duke University CFO survey. It it polls hundreds of CFOs. It comes out um, once a month, and it's small, large company, private company, public company, domestic, international, and it hit the third highest level in history. So there is nobody on this planet that is going to be surprised by good earnings and good economy over the next six months, even to the point of Jerome Powell saying
3: so basically, are, are you thinking that Jerome Powell saying it is sort of a contrarian indicator, or that he's starting to, to talk back QE in some way? You know, managing the market expectation.
7: So, Mel, we try to make this different every cycle, and of course, the reasons for the recession. Are different each cycle it always ends up in a credit crisis and once you're in the bottom of the market the fed comes in to the rescue as they did this time they game changed it this time on april 9th when they started announced that they were going to buy corporate debt that was a game-changing event we thought so but each cycle this is 2004 this is 2010 you're on the back of a monster move off the low you've had an acceleration pending in economic activity that is very identifiable it felt like during that ramp, the Fed is never going to say anything negative ever. And of course they do. So in 2004, you had about an 8% decline over a few months, coming from a peak in April. And then in 2010, you, you of course, had a peak in uh, in April, and you had about a 15% flash crash decline. So I don't know which one of those it's going to be. But I think the combination of those factors I said before, plus all the optimism in our four key tactical indicators, being at historic extremes, gives an opportunity to maybe take some profit and be ready to attack when any weakness comes in.
5: Hey, Tony, it's Jeff Mills. Just a quick question to press this. A little bit further relative to the fed you know we got some inflation data this morning maybe a little bit hotter than expected Uh, i know everyone has been expecting hotter inflation given the year-over-year comps can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on the data this morning and how that might factor into the fed's posture here over the next couple of quarters
7: well jeff as you know that the fed likes to use the core pce personal consumption expenditures it has a little bit of a less weighting and owner's equivalent rent today's number was a little bit hotter but we I think that's something that we knew. It's sort of, if you think about the ten year note yield, we've had nothing but awesome economic news, which seemed impossible um maybe six to twelve months ago. You've had awesome economic news, you've had now a surprise in the inflation picture, a little bit, it was kind of expected, and yet the ten years gone from a one hundred seventy seven to a one hundred sixty one. Now, I, again, it's not the exact level that's important. It's the fact that in the face of all this excitement that brought Jerome Powell on board, that brought the CFOs on board. Oh, my God, I'm sounding really very sure. Um, all of those factors combined with too much optimism just creates an environment ripe for a, a broader base pullback.
3: Um, we're just about out of time, Tony, but I do want to clarify because you have been known as the perma So is this just a, a trading call within a belief that we're still in an intact bull market?
7: It's, it is, but it's a meaningful. I, I think we are early in a new economic and market cycle. And, and Mel, if you remember, when we went long the banks and tanks last, you know, last May, mm-hmm. it, it seemed impossible. Now everybody's in there and they're about to report great earnings. It's just the pause that refreshes and creates an opportunity to really capitalize on that next leg higher, which I think will be in the second half and into 2022.
3: All right, Tony, great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. When the permable pulls in his horns, Grasso, that's got to give you some pause.
6: <laughs> it, it does, but I but I understand. I liked your last question. I think it's it's. Uh, I I know he said it wasn't, but I I don't fault him for this. Once we look on a chart with the S&P and we get back to pre-COVID levels, you could have said, let's throw in the towel, let's cash out, let's get, get bearish. We're 22% above that level. And now you're gonna look at a six or 7% print in GDP. Stimulus checks, flooding people's pockets, infrastructure coming down the pike. There's a whole lot of money being thrown at this and inflation should be sky, sky high through the roof. It's not. I think this market is going to rally because what it rally even further from here. What upsets the most people at the same time? A 4,500 print in the S&P. And that's what the market seems to do, Melissa. Mm -hmm.
3: And unless you counter that with a record high in the S&P 500, infrastructure um, gets done. But at the cost of, you know, at the expense of corporate tax rates, which go higher, individual tax rates, which go higher. Guy, Dami, there are a lot, you know, there are reasons on both sides of the ledger at this point.
2: No, I think Steve makes a compelling argument I mm-hmm. find it interesting Listen, one thing Tony's been his perma right uh, along with Tom Lee so l- let's just put that out there number one and when when he makes comments like that you have to absolutely <laughs> listen because you know, he's been steadfast in his views and he's I'm, I'm not saying he's doing a 180 but he's clearly changing gears a bit here so it's worth watching as we go into earnings season again he made the point that when he made that call back in May it seemed completely illogical he's making now seems similar in this environment. And quickly before we get out, a stadium was something they had in Pittsburgh that's Three River Stadium. A sports cathedral is what they have on 161st <laughs> Street in the Bronx.
6: Just to correct Tim, sorry. Amen.
3: Amen. <laughs> All right. Coming up, get ready for the banks. Earnings season kicks off tomorrow. So which one of these names will add more money to your portfolio? We'll dive into the options pits for a look at what's ahead. But first, spring loaded for gains. Apple shares bouncing higher as the tech titan teases. Another product event will break down what to expect and how to trade it when fast money returns.
8: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
9: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple with a little pep in its step today. The company announcing a spring-loaded event slated for next Tuesday. Apple expecting to introduce new versions of the iPad Pro as well as AirTags, a product that will help you track your devices. Apple shares jumping nearly 2.5% today. This is a sizable move for a very large company, Tim.
4: Yeah, I don't know if this is uh, really the, the, the catalyst, but the news mm-hmm. flow is interesting, and there's a lot of different catalysts uh, or, or certainly levers that Apple's has been pulling. Um, I, I think capital markets are another one that people forget about, the amount of cash that they're generating, the ability to buy back stock, the ability to do a bunch of different things. Uh, but, but if you look at the move in Apple, I think a lot of this is just underperformance. We've tracked it. Uh, if you think about where Apple went from, uh, I think it was early, you know, kind of January 15th to, to, to 20th, somewhere in there, to the lows in April, it actually underperformed the S&P by 19.5%. 19.5% for the biggest market uh, cap in, in the world. And then since that time, it's actually outperformed by 7 or 8% in the last nine days. I, I think that general trend around a, a world where mega tech has been outperforming in the last eight or nine days. And we've charted those numbers. Uh, and actually, really, since the beginning of, of, uh, uh, of April, you've got a case where I think you've got more room for Apple to move higher, not necessarily on
3: fundamentals. Yeah, this event and a 162 yield on the Treasury doesn't hurt either, Jeff Mills.
5: No, that's exactly right. I mean, I think it's hard to find a really reliable trading pattern around some of these events. I've actually looked. Uh, it's not reliable, but I did mention the, the pattern on all of these charts, right? All of these mega cap tech charts, and they look very, very similar. And I do think it is a macro interest rate trade. And we talked about inflation with Tony, but I think the, the slightly hotter infl- inflation print this morning, along with the 10-year yield actually moving lower, gives me higher conviction that we're in this interest rate band and therefore you can ride the momentum in large cap tech for a little while.
3: All right, let's move on here. We are counting down to Coinbase as the largest cryptocurrency exchange prepares for its direct listing on the NASDAQ tomorrow. Within the last half hour, Coinbase setting a reference price of $250 a share that values the company at more than $65 billion. Joining us now is Coinbase board member Tom Lavero. He's a partner at late stage venture capital firm IVP. Welcome, Tom. Great to have you with us.
10: Thank you. Great being here.
3: You know, there were uh, high expectations when it comes to the valuation of Coinbase, uh, some expectations as high as one hundred and fifty billion dollars. So what's your take on on where it's valued at this point?
10: Yeah, uh, I can't speculate on on where it will come out, but Mm -hmm. um, what I'll tell you is um, we're hearing a lot of interest from both institutions and consumers in the name uh, and You know, I think they they set the reference price at a point where they think it's fair. Um, But it's really going to depend on that supply and demand, how many consumers, how many institutions show up. I think uh, it's going to be a a bit of a Rorschach test, an inkblot test, that is, for what people think of crypto. Those who see it as uh, a potential avenue for for expansion like the Internet was uh, many years ago versus those who don't quite understand it.
3: I, I get that. But at the same time, if you're a true believer in crypto and let's say you're a true believer in Bitcoin, why is Coinbase, why is investing in Coinbase better? Because we've seen it time and time again where transaction based businesses, which Coinbase is right now, 90 percent of its revenues rely on the retail trader, So they collect fees from the transactions um, that gets compressed over time. So are we actually looking at a Coinbase where the best days are right here, right in front of us? with those fees going down. If you're a true believer in Bitcoin, why not choose Bitcoin over Coinbase?
10: Yeah, I think you can point to many analogs, both in financial services and technology. Uh, in Financial services, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ started off on transactional models and were able to evolve their businesses over time to, to revenue streams that were much more dependable and more valued uh, in the long run by consumers. But owning a very highly liquid marketplace is really what you need to do in order to uh, expand over time. I think Amazon is a great example, too, right? When they started off, people said, how big can this be? They're a bookseller. But because they were Internet native and really understood the medium, they weren't just throwing up a website, unlike, you know, Barnes and & Nobles and Borders. They really got the technology. They were able to expand upon that. And I think a lot of investors see that in Coinbase. It's, sure, uh, buy Bitcoin and other uh Cryptocurrencies as a starting place, but in the long run, they can move fastest and offer the best features that are really what we call crypto native.
6: So, Tom, when you worry about uh, obviously when you talk about Bitcoin or the other coins, you worry you worry about regulation. How do you look at regulation from your seat and what's the discussion there? Is this something that you're prepared for? Do you do you are you focused on certain Uh, things coming down the pike, or that's not really uh, monopolizing your time at this point?
10: You know, to be honest, at this point, we don't spend a ton of time thinking, uh, or I should say worrying about regulation. I think it's more about education at this point. Uh, There's a lot of lawmakers, I think, who are just beginning to learn about cryptocurrency uh, and the benefits that it can bring to our society and to business uh, as you increase economic freedom. So I think it's it's more about educating uh, the lawmakers in terms of the regulatory bodies. Uh, for the most part, I think they're very up to speed and they've been very uh, crypto friendly. Um, so, you know, at this point, I think the job for Coinbase and for the whole industry is really more education than it is worrying about sort of negative regulation.
3: So when you think of competitors, Tom, who do you think of as competitors? We we threw up a, a full screen with a bunch of different sort of exchanges, but maybe exchanges aren't your biggest worry right now.
10: Yeah, I think like, I mean, this this is an answer that, that may be a little frustrating, but I think it's mostly themselves. Coinbase needs to execute exceptionally well. Um, There's so many different avenues they can go. It's more about what not to do than, than what else they can do. There's just so much opportunity in front of them. Honestly, I think it's more about them executing than, you know, defeating a, a single competitor. If you if you think about the marketplace today for crypto, um, very few brokerages have even added the the most basic function of being able to say buy Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, you know that if they can't do those basic things, you know when you get to more advanced uh, crypto abilities like staking, et cetera, you know they're, they're probably years off. So I think as far as the direct competition goes, that's not really what Coinbase uh, keeps Coinbase up at night.
3: And when you think about Coinbase's future in terms of product mix, is it all going to be coins? Is it going to be Bitcoin and the universe of all coins or could it be other things like like NFTs, for instance?
10: Yeah, I think uh, the company's mission is around both increasing economic freedom, but also a dedication to crypto. So anything that is related to the blockchain, NFTs certainly are, I think, could be fair game for them in the future. Um, The company's product suite today is much more expansive than it was, it's all about utilizing crypto. So if it's a way you can utilize crypto, I think that's well within the company's future mission.
3: Tom, great to get your thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Tom Lavero, a Coinbase board member. Guy Dami, what do you make of this? Because I do think that they're separate things. You can be a believer in Bitcoin, you can be a believer in crypto and not necessarily be a believer in the exchange. I think that's
2: fair. I think that's absolutely fair. I think you asked all the right questions. His point about, you know, really the risk is is an operational risk and them just doing the right things. Mm. I'll tell you, though, you know, the $100 billion that the market's talking about in terms of final valuation after it begins trading. I mean, Goldman Sachs has $111 billion market cap, just to put things in perspective. So it really comes down to, you know, how much of how ahead of your skis do you want to get in this space? Obviously, they're in the right place at the right time. A lot of people have said that maybe we'll see, see a short-term top in crypto on the back of this. It's going to be fascinating to watch. But I think you're right. You know, you back out everything and just look at what this business is. Does it deserve this kind of valuation? Well, we're going to find out really soon.
3: Yeah, and no surprise and no coincidence, Bitcoin hit a new record today. And, of course, there's a very high correlation between Bitcoin and all of the altcoins there. So, really, it is very dependent, Jeff, on, on the fate and the direction of Bitcoin.
5: Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think the, the main advice for investors that I would give is, look, this is going to be frenzied. It's going to be volatile. Um, even a stock like Tesla, I mean, there's no way for me to prove it, but just given the comments they've made around Bitcoin, that stock was up, you know, 7 or 8% today. Uh, but I do think, look, going forward, Uh, this is something that's going to be around for a long time. I think the more intertwined that Bitcoin gets with corporate balance sheets, I know Grayscale announced a partnership with Time, and Time's going to keep the Bitcoin payment on their balance sheet. So the more and more that happens, the more unlikely it is that this is going to get regulated away, and companies like Coinbase are going to be needed. So if you're getting involved, just know what you're getting involved
4: with.
3: All right, coming up, the general is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea. He says the small cap stock is primed to pop. It's even in its name. He'll make his case when Fast Money returns.
9: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. The small caps have been struggling over the past month with Russell 2000 down more than 5 percent. But the general says the pullback is presenting the perfect buying opportunity. Jeff Mills is taking them out for a fast pitch. So Jeff, take it away.
5: Yeah, I think this is a good one. And and some small caps have gotten ahead of themselves, but this one actually has a pretty attractive valuation at 13 times forward. The chart actually looks really good, breaking out of a six-year base. It retested that old high and held. The company's called Primoris. So... They're in specialty contracting, they do infrastructure work almost exclusively in the United States. So when you think about them, think about power generators, highways, bridges, airport runways, things of that nature. Um, but all the trends we're seeing in onshoring and infrastructure spending, it's going to be a tailwind for this company. They have a good balance sheet uh, and they've been consistently profitable for a very long time. I like the fact that they're diversifying into higher growth areas. So They just did an acquisition of a company called Future Infrastructure, so it's getting them into telecom and communications infrastructure. Uh, Last mile broadband, I think, is going to be an area that will continue to grow that they now have exposure to. And finally, if you look at their pipeline business, maybe an obvious headwind, just given the regulatory environment that we're going into. I think that that, that's sort of common sense. they are rapidly diversifying into renewables, solar. That business has grown about six times since 2019. So I think given all of that, this is a nice small cap name with a good valuation that I think has, has some nice headwinds given the macro environment.
3: All right. Tim's got a question for you.
4: General, what was that spike in the stock uh, most recently that took it up near you know, $40 and brought it back down? And ultimately, what's the margin profile of this company? Where should they be trading on an EBITDA margin?
5: Yeah, so that was right around the secondary. So I don't know exactly what the catalyst was, but we bought it on the pullback. That was around, um, I think, that that $35 level. But the the margins are actually a little bit thin. So that's something to consider here. Um, But I do like the idea that the company's been consistently profitable, even dating back to before the financial crisis. So I think the margins are stable enough and their business is stable enough to offset that sort of profitability profile. Um, And I also think that... If you if you listen to the company on conference calls, they're looking at being a little bit more selective with some of their contracts to try to help with that margin profile.
3: All right. No more questions. It is time now to vote. So are you buying Jeff's pitch on Primoris, Guy Adami, what do you say? Mel, can you read my smart Let's board? Let's see if please, I can read me. it can today. You do that? Um, Marshall Eisenhower, Bradley MacArthur.
2: What are all those names <laughs> have in common? If you don't know, just say I don't know, I don't okay, know. quickly. They're all five-star general. generals, and that was a five-star power pitch from our general mills. Uh, okay. um, $35 was where they priced the secondary. On a close above 35 you buy it in earnings in May.
3: I was thinking, like, are they all airports? Like, what, what you know, infrastructure-related? Anyway, Tim.
4: <laughs> so, look, much in the way Dom Smith uh, hit a home run in the bottom of the first at a twin bill in Flushing today, the general... Hit it out of the park. I'm a buyer. Uh, Definitely like the story. And I do think that this is a a thematic play in the middle of a very, very
6: interesting time to be investing in Uh, construction services. Steve. I'm going to go with the general. I'm going to I'm going to give him another buy here. And the top 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 10 clients account for 50 percent of the revenues. And these top 10 clients are very deep pocketed, thick bulky accounts. I like the fact that the number one revenue generator is the utilities segment that works up or down on the interest rate scale. So I go with a buy
3: for the general. All right. Clean sweep for Jeff. The traders have spoken. It is now your turn. So are you buying the general's pitch on Primoris? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. You'll get the results at the end of the show. Coming up, a $4 billion move. That's how much Moderna gained today on the back of the J&J vaccine news. We'll speak with one biotech analyst who says those gains should have been even bigger. And later, we're gearing up for big bank earnings that kick off tomorrow morning. We'll break down the key names that need to be on your watch list. Stick with us. Fast Money will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Johnson & Johnson falling today on concerns over its COVID-19 vaccine. Here's what we know at this hour. The FDA and CDC recommending a temporary pause in the J&J vaccine out of an abundance of caution after six women in the U.S. developed a rare blood clotting disorder that left one woman dead and another in critical condition. Nearly seven million doses have been administered here in the U.S. The other COVID vaccine makers rallying on the back of the story, Moderna, Bio- BioNTech, and Pfizer, all higher on the day. Moderna, the big winner, though, adding $4.1 billion to its market cap today alone. So we ask, is the move warranted? Let's bring in an analyst who covers the name, Hartaj Singh, a senior biotech analyst at Oppenheimer, former strategic analysis manager for Johnson & Johnson. Hartaj, great to have you with us. You think that Moderna should have gained even more. Why is that?
11: Yeah, thank you, Melissa, uh, for having me. Um, You know, look, it's very simple. Uh, Vaccines are The product profile of the vaccines are very important. You look at flu vaccines, uh, you know, the most expensive vaccine on the market is $75. The cheapest one is $15. Uh, The risk benefit profile, the ability to be, um, you know, deployed in a uh, dependable manner, all of these things matter. We've been highlighting as early as October of last year that Moderna's mRNA vaccines has the best product profile of uh, all the vaccines in the COVID-19 group. Uh, and that is now clearly starting to show up more and more, and which is why we think that um, um, you know the stock has quite a ways to run as people start realizing what that means to the business.
3: So, in terms of of your sort of calculating on the back of an envelope, you know, a four billion dollar gain to Moderna should be even greater. Can you do the math for? I mean, is it just if we took nine million? Johnson & Johnson vaccine times it by two because there's two Moderna doses and you added that to Moderna's. I mean, is that part of the calculation? Is it that it's going to gain market share even over Pfizer because of its safety profile? And now this latest data that even after six months, it's more than 90% effective still?
11: Yeah, no, no, it's it's a really good question, right? So I don't think it's necessarily, um, I, I think that is part of the equation, Melissa, I think what is more important is that, you know, part of what I would call, um, you know, the reason to not own Moderna or maybe a bear thesis was that, you know, J&J and AstraZeneca would put downward pressure on the pricing of Moderna's vaccines, which are still among the most expensive in the pandemic setting, uh, and then would take market share. So AstraZeneca probably might not be approved in the United States, you know, according to Dr. Fauci, um, you know, J&J now is having some issues. It's an older platform technology. So It's really not so much about the 9 million doses. It's more so that that downward pressure that analysts probably Mm. saw in the future is now going to start going away. Even in our model, for example, you know, if Moderna does a billion doses of vaccine next year, um, uh, you know, at $20, you know, per course, you can do the math. I mean, it's a 15, $20 billion business for a couple of years at the very least.
3: All right. Hartaj, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. I think that's really interesting, the downward pressure that the bears had for Moderna. All of a sudden that goes away, and that's really good for Moderna and probably for Pfizer, too, which we also saw rise in today's session, Guy.
2: Yeah, a lot of people out there think that Moderna could, you know, not put these companies out of business, but put their vaccine businesses out of business based on what they've done. And unfortunately, I think we all realize You know, what we've lived through, there's going to be more of these type of events, hopefully not as severe, but Moderna is poised to take over, and I was surprised it didn't trade higher either. I think it does continue to go higher from here. Uh, I've been right, wrong about this stock a number of times, but Karen said it many, many months ago. Out of all these uh, people in this game, Moderna was best suited to take advantage of it, and I stand by that today.
3: All right. Coming up, the financials in focus as we gear up for a big day of bank earnings. J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, all reporting tomorrow before the bell. What to expect from the names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a huge slate of bank earnings ready to report earnings this week. Let's bring in Mike Coe, who spotted some interesting options activity in one of the names on deck. Mike, what would you see?
2: Yes, yeah, so I was taking a look at City. This is a name that's implying a move of about 3.6 after they report earnings by the end of the week. That's slightly higher than the 3.3% or so that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. Calls significantly outpaced puts by more than two to one, and the most active options were the April 72 and a half calls. Over forty six hundred of those traded for about a dollar. So buyers of those calls are obviously betting that City is going to exceed that $72.5 strike price by at least the dollar that they paid. Which suggests that they're betting that the implied move or more will be to the upside by the end of this week.
3: Yeah, Tim, you're in city.
4: I am. And, and look, I, I think it has the most operational leverage to the reopening in the economy. And remember, this was the cheapest one for a lot of very uh, appropriate reasons. But I, I, I think I'm a little concerned on price action. The banks, it hasn't been uh, bombastic going into these numbers, but it's largely been bombastic. And Citibank, most notably of the banks, has outperformed all the other money center banks. Um, I stay there. I, I think you could see some volatility. And obviously, that's what options traders are are playing for
3: all right mike thanks for that mike co and of course for more options action you can t- tune into the full show that's friday 5 30 p.m eastern time coming up next we got the twitter poll results and your final trade welcome back to fast Money time to find out if the twitter verse was primed on jeff's pitch on Primoris, and by the slimmest of the margins you were close jeff You struck out. 51% voting. They are not buying your pitch going against the clean sweep on the panel. Not the first time in history that's happened, that's for sure. Uh, Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
4: That's that's too bad. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel good either. Uh, Walmart, world's biggest (laughs) retailer. People seem to forget about this at a time when the, the tailwinds for the consumer around infrastructure. But more importantly, stimulus are very, very strong.
3: Jeff Mills.
5: So I'm going to stick with my guns here, Primoris. I think it's a good time to be selective in small cap. A lot of business tailwinds here uh, and a very reasonable valuation, so P-R-I-M.
3: Yeah, 48% did vote yes. That's the, that's the bright side of things. Um, Steve hey, look, I'll take it.
6: <laughs> I'm going to go with Sonos. Sonos, if you look back, uh, I, I own this uh, from the middle teens, and if you look back, they had a supply issue. They never had a demand issue. People wanted their products. They just couldn't get enough of their product to the consumer. Now they handle that supply issue, Melissa. And I know you're not supposed to be buying a stock for M&A or potential MA, but this would really make a nice add- add-on for Apple, Google, or Amazon. The chart, to me, looks like it wants to scream to 50 bucks. Earnings come out first week of May. Watch this one. Guy Dami. Blackstone
2: reports, I think, on the 22nd. I think it continues to rally in the earnings, Mel. All
3: right. Thanks for watching. Fast.
8: See you back here tomorrow. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.